everybody. Hello. It's Halloween. I'm scared, are you? I'm terrified. And uh, what's scarier to a Hollywood producer than a failed movie franchise? Did you start the sleep timer? I did start the sleep timer. Uh, baby's down for a nap. So what's scarier to a Hollywood producer than a failed movie franchise? Absolutely nothing. That's why every Halloween and for four years, we cover movies that were supposed to kick off series and failed to do so. Today's an interesting one because we've covered some real stinkers. Do you remember what we've covered? We've covered last year. We covered the snowman. Yes. And then we covered insert movie name here. The year before that, we covered Mortal Engines. Ah, oh yeah, which actually was like, oh, I kind of liked it. Yeah, I wished that there were more. Yeah. Because uh, there were definitely problems, but that was definitely one where I was like, this should have made money, and it should have been something that, like, there were four or five movies. Yeah, yeah. It was perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was actually a couple things that were actually uniquely cool about it. But anyway, I digress. And they put a minion in it. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> um, but what did you think of the first movie we covered on Halloween? This, this is the true test. I'm not going to know. Fantastic Four. Oh. By Josh Trank. Oh, okay. That was the first year we did it. So what do I? What did I think about it? No, no, no. I, I just was oh, wondering okay. if you remembered. No. But, but this year, we thought, so back in July, we covered the Dirty Harry movies. And that made us go, you know what, on Patreon, let's do a bonus episode on Zodiac. And this is also a great time to plug, patreon.com slash Micah McCaw. And, and if you like this episode, you got to listen to our Zodiac episode. Um, and that is Jordan and I's favorite David Fincher movie. I think it's his best movie mm -hmm. in every way, shape, and form. And I think it's one of the great American films post-2000, mm -hmm. pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Um and when we did that, I thought, whoa, we have an opportunity to, for Halloween, continue to do David Fincher, and even though he's never done a sequel. But we, it's like, we can cover him again because this m series of movies was supposed to be three movies, mm -hmm. and it was supposed to be a global phenomenon. And we're going to talk about it. it was. It kind of is. And, I, and I'm kind of surprised that they didn't go forward with any more of these mm -hmm. um so yes uh and and i'll just also say just because of the content of this if you've never seen this movie or don't know what this is uh about there is a high amount of uh graphic graphic sexual assault content yeah um and we are going to talk about it so if if that you're not comfortable with that there's your warning for that and if you don't want to watch that there's your warning for that as well mm -hmm. so there's that um, now we can talk about everything without feeling like, crap, we should have warned people. Although I think it's pretty well known. and yeah, I think it's pretty notorious. And you, you and I were talking about this, I feel like every once in a while, and I don't, I can't name another example besides this movie. There's a movie that comes along that like, no matter what background or what type of of person people are, except for like very squeamish people, it's like everybody sees it even though there's stuff that's pretty intense in it. And it, and like everybody knows about it. And I feel like this is that movie hmm. where it's like if you're an adult around this time, 
uh, you saw a girl with a dragon tattoo. And I feel like if I'm in a group of people, I can reference this movie and everyone's seen it and knows what So what is, is Bo's afraid, Bo's afraid, like the new one? I don't think so. No? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think a lot of people saw that and I don't think a lot of people will see that. Okay. You know? But this one is like, do you know what I mean? Where sometimes like a movie's really graphic yeah, and maybe you so. feel uncomfortable bringing it up around certain people, but yeah. it's like everybody's seen Girl with a Dragon Tattoo though. We can talk about that movie. Yeah. Even though it's like pretty explicit and pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first one that pops in my mind is Deliverance. Because we oh, watched that. That's a not great that example. Ago. Yeah. Because there's that... some heavy, heavy simple, uh, sexual assault in that too. Yeah. That is a, a great example. Um, and I think had we grown up around the time, it sounds like from me listening to Blank Check's episode on Seven, it sounds like Seven was that movie. Oh, really? Too, where it was just such a huge hit and everybody saw it. And of course, there's a, like, my parents didn't go see Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. They didn't go see Seven. Um, you know, and my mom would never watch probably any movies. That he, well, no, she watched Social Network. Uh, oh, did she? <laughs> but other than that, she wouldn't watch any of these movies mm-hmm. that he made. Um, actually, she might watch Panic Room, too, because who doesn't love Jodie Foster? Uh, but having said that, it just feels like sometimes there's a really mature movie that everyone's like, yeah, okay, we're going to go see it. And that's how it goes. So on top of that, yeah, this movie also, to me, felt like The Da Vinci Code. And what I mean by that is, as a kid, this is my perspective as a child, when Da Vinci Code came out... Because this is 2011, so we'd be um, high school. 11th graders. So, like, we'd be on the cusp of being able to see it. I didn't see it till a few years after. Same. Um, but I remember when Da Vinci Code came out, when we were kids, it was, like, a huge phenomenon. It feels, it's, feels like since then people are like, that movie's not very good. Um, I've never seen it. Yeah, but it did feel like it was, like can't miss i mean my parents rented that movie well i know so like every every adult saw da vinci code and most adults read the book like every like everyone knew the da vinci code and so yeah same feeling i had for this movie when this movie came out and slash the book it's like you read you read this book you watch this movie totally that's how it totally felt. yeah sorry if i uh phased in and out there folks and bumped my mic <laughs> the door was open <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I it, it did feel like it's just like a cultural phenom- phenomenon, and and again, as we'll break down with the box office, uh, uh, I think it was. I would go so far as to say this was a phenomenon. Yeah, and I still think like there's so many images. Like whenever you see a DVD cover of it or things like that, it just feels like oh yeah, I've seen that a thousand times everywhere. I read that the CD specifically was made to look like it was a pirated CD. Which is what we have. Yeah. And I also read that that confused people and they thought they got bootleg versions, <laughs> which is like, come on, people. But it's um, also hilarious. Yeah. Um, so I have read three, the three books, the three. By St- Steve, Steve Larson. Larson. Um, the Millennium Trilogy. Correct. Yeah. But they yeah. have since continued, just not by him because he passed. Yeah. Did he write all three? He wrote all three. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, and you've read this book. I've, I've only read this one yeah, yeah. great they're, they're really good that they're, they're like i have some issues with them that I, that some things and i'm like this is just so unbelievable but on the whole yeah pretty th- i mean if you want a thriller yeah pretty good thriller well and i i think so okay kind of talk about all this at once um i so i saw this movie my buddy bobby preston showed it to me and this is like top five movies for him 
all time. Like he is obsessed with this movie. It's like the template for what he wants to do when he's directing like this movie Mm -hmm. specifically and like movement editing, like everything is this movie to him. Like I texted him when we were watching it and, and he was like, Oh my gosh, I love that movie. I just rewatched it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he showed it to me and it was excited. It's always fun when someone's like super passionate about a movie when they show it to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember there's this detail that I don't think I ever would have picked up on, but he was like, this is the brilliance of this movie. And it's at the beginning of the movie, Daniel Craig, uh, you know, he's he's being um, sued for libel. Mm-hmm. And he goes to this bakery and he buys a pack of cigarettes. He pulls out one cigarette, throws away the pack and smokes it. And then throughout the movie, he picks up smoking, smokes again. more and more cigarettes. But it's never talked about or mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think there's one time when someone offers him one and he says, I quit. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, I think he's not smoking again, something mm-hmm. like that. And he was just like, that is just so brilliant that that it's not even talked about. Yeah. And it's just this amazing thing. And I'm like, wow, this guy's seen this movie a lot of times. <laughs> but That's a great detail. But it is like, I, I the, the older I get, the more things like that are like, oh, that's what makes David Fincher one of the greatest directors alive. And maybe if someone else, that, well... That's why, like, when I tried to watch the Swedish version of this movie, I watched, like, half hour, and I was like, this is so boring. Is and it I really? Watching I've it. only seen bits and pieces. Yeah, and it's pretty boring. They're supposed to be pretty good, though, I thought. Um, right? I think that people have kind of soured on them. Oh, really? Is the impression I get. Okay. I think people like them okay. fine and thought they were cool when they came out, but I think time has maybe not been the kindest to them. Okay. Um, But... Yeah, I, I tried to watch because I'm like, oh, this would be cool to watch the whole story because I know that yeah. all three of those movies came out in the same year, 2009. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they just like busted those out. But it's it's tough and, and it's a great exercise if you were ever like, what makes a director a director? Like watch a scene from Girl with the Dragon Tattoo 2011 and watch a scene from 2009 because you see like Master and Apprentice mm-hmm. because it is truly... It's just like when you watch the other one, it's like, oh, this is kind of TV-ish. Mm-hmm. It's just not gripping. Mm-hmm. And in a lot, this isn't like an action-packed movie. Mm-mm. So in order to keep people gripped, you need to be It's a good. slow burn. And this movie's long. Yeah. And so I, I do really think that, I mean, it's just more proof that David Fincher is like one of our great talents. Yeah. Um, having said that, though, upon rewatch and rewatch and rewatch, this is like middle- to middle low for me, I think, on David Fincher. Okay. Funny enough. Yeah. I, I, I could see someone putting it anywhere on yeah. their David Fincher yeah. list. But even this last time, I think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. But um, I think there's probably like five or six that I like more and like a lot more significantly. Okay. And, and it, whereas it used to be pretty high on my list. Oh, okay. Anyway, tell me about your experience with it. I don't remember the first. I mean, I I might have even borrowed the DVD from you. Is Potentially oh, that makes I, sense. Yeah, I mean, I I'd seen it. It maybe had been on TV once or twice. Yeah, um, and I'd seen a little bit of it before, but I probably borrowed it from you and watched the whole thing. And every single time, I have fast forwarded through the rape scene. Yeah, because I don't need to watch it. Yeah, it happened. Okay, um, you get it. So, um, but yeah, I this movie's awesome. I love it. It's yeah. brooding. It it it, and I and I love movies, especially like. I mean, I'm a sucker for true crime stuff. I'm a white female <laughs> from America, but um, 
I, I love that this is, you know, you got a really interesting crime element happening, investigation, police procedural. Well, they're not police, but you know what I mean, investigative. Yeah, yeah. But it's like that genre. But procedural. it's not about it at the by the end yeah. of the movie. Because we still, it's just so interesting. I always forget that there's like an extra 15 minutes at the end. Yeah. because And it's like, should they have kept this? Couldn't they have just cut this off? Like, mm-hmm. we don't really need this. And it's like, no, because that's what the story's about. Yeah. Is it's about um, Mikkel and Lisbeth. Which is great that you picked up on it because uh, when David Fincher and Steve Zalian, Steve Zalian did the screenplay, we're talking about this movie. Um, Steve Zalian had worked on a screenplay before Fincher gets on. And Fincher's kind of like, you know, this is a huge book. Like, what 350 pages are you cutting from this thing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, how are we going to do this? And um, Steve told him at some point, he said, this is a movie about, like, a boy and a girl and their relationship. And when he said that, David Fincher's like, all right, we're on the same page. This is going to work. Like, we're yeah. going to be able to adapt this. Yeah. And it does, I feel like, especially the more and more you watch it, the more you see their relationship develop. Yeah. And that's maybe the most interesting part of the movie, even though the case is quite tantalizing. Yep. Um. Another funny thing about this movie... I'm just looking something up about the author. I am listening. Okay. Another funny thing about the movie is I remember being in Seons... And Bryce Miller was in the band at the time, who, by the way, he scored the the recent Napoleon trailer. He did? Uh, yeah, I saw him post about it, and Very I was like, cool. dude, I saw this in theaters today. It's always cool seeing him post and be like, I was just at the theaters, and I saw that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and hey, if anyone from Hollywood is listening, hire him to compose a movie already. Because he's doing all these cool remixes, and they're great, but I want to see all 100% Bryce, not a remix. I'm ready. Yeah. He needs to be composing yeah. movies. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so he, I remember him telling me about the movie and describing just the storyline of the rape and revenge. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds like a movie I could never and will never watch. You're talking about this movie? Yes. Okay. Having Now, having said that, I think I've seen it three or four times yeah. now. <laughs> but, boy, I... I when you describe this plot to someone, it's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a this is not a happy movie. No, you do you do get like a happy ending, not for everybody. Yeah, but but so like you do like kind of get you do have catharsis for sure and resolution, but that's not it's not everything's wrapped not everything's wrapped up in a bow. Yeah, and uh, you know this is something I felt when when that last like you know end of the third act or fifth act, however you want to, you know, dice it up, happens. I, it just hit me, because we just rewatched Panic Room, that as much as we talk about David Fincher being this dark, brooding director, like, I, I, I'm not totally convinced that he is, like, nihilistic. There is no hope in this world. Because the ending of this movie, it deals with such dark material, and yet it feels like these characters would will go forward from this and they will like life will be actually better than before this movie started. And, and so, and it's something like panic room ends extremely hopeful. Um, that's a bit of an outlier on his career, you know, but yeah. Um, I'm not sure that he's quite as, he's not Ari, Ari Aster, you know, no. where like any, ever all three of those movies, when you finish them, you're just like, I'm going to go die in a hole. Yeah. Like there, is there a point in living 
it, because of the worlds he created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't actually think that about your world. No, no, But the yeah. worlds he creates feel like there is no point. There's, it's godless. There's mm-hmm. nothing to hope for. But I feel like Fincher movies actually don't do that. Hmm. Um, as much as they are maybe like assigned well, by people. Well, it's just the, the tone is just so serious that it's easy to just feel that way that yeah. you're not, you're not going to go to David, you're never going to go to one of those movies and feel uplifted. Yes, some of them have happy endings yeah. and stuff, but that's not what you're taking away from the movie. Mm-mm. No. And I, I'm very curious because we're, by the time this episode comes out, we'll be like 10 days away from his new movie. And I'm, I, I really don't know. It seems so different than something he does. So I'm. Yeah. It just has the look and feel of a David Fincher movie and the music, at least in the trailer. And it's like, but I don't know what this is about or Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see. One of the worst trailers I've ever seen. So I loved it. It was awesome on board. Yeah. Micah is still hasn't decided if he'll let me watch it with him or not yet. Uh, Yeah. I'm just afraid Jordan might ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) You're so dumb. (laughs) You know what I mean, though? Yeah. But. Not everything has to be so precious. It's not like a Martin Scorsese movie. No, it's not like a Martin Scorsese <laughs> movie. But uh, <laughs> what a funny laugh, um, followed by a silly laugh. Um, yeah. Anything else you got there? Uh, or should I what? jump into how it was made? Let's do that. Okay. Screenplay by Stephen Zalian. I was calling him Steve earlier. Should have called him Stephen Zalian. He did this HBO show called The Night of. He did the story on the first Mission Impossible movie. Oh, cool. Moneyball and The Irishman, speaking of Martin Scorsese. Uh, cinematography is by Jeff Cronenweth, who did Fight Club, Social Network, and Gone Girl, and this amongst his career. Uh, the music is by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross of Nine Inch Nails. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're big finch heads. They started in Social Network. Yeah. That was their first score. Then they do this. Then they've scored every movie since. Um. And then every movie that's ever come out. Yeah. They won an Oscar for social network. They won an Oscar for soul. They're already two Oscars deep. You guys are good. Yeah, they are. Um, this movie comes out, uh, December 21st, 2011. It was dubbed the feel bad movie of the season was part of how they were marketing. it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, had a $90 million budget. Yeah. In the U S it made 102. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, that number doesn't seem very big. But worldwide, it made 239 Yeah. And so uh, I'm confused why they didn't do more. Mm-hmm. Because... They'd ni- make another Fast and Furious movie for making less money. Yeah. I mean, $90 million is a pretty high-budgeted adult yeah. drama. But I don't know why the studios thought, yeah, this movie with, like, rape and, like, a plot line about rape and murder will be a hit like $500 million. Yeah. $239 is huge for the content that is in this movie. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And they made money from this, so I I, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, But let's... We'll get back to that, because I have some quotes, but they're more toward the end of my uh, list here. Um, A couple of guys that were considered for Michael. Okay. Clooney. Yeah. Not good. No, but... I'd watch him in anything. Yeah. Uh, although Michael Clayton is kind of adjacent to this, actually. Oh, so maybe he could do so it. so good. Um, Go watch Michael Clayton. Uh, yes, please. Uh, wow. Sean Siders just texted me and said, I could make a Moscow mule or a margarita. What should I do? Margarita. 
Oh, I was thinking mule. Oh. I'm going mule, baby. And that's what I'm texting him, Moscow mule, baby. Uh, so next is Johnny Depp. No. Terrible, terrible. Um, and again, this is like the, the, the Although casting. that would be interesting. I don't like it. No. But that would be interesting. I've never seen him in a role like that. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. probably, which could indicate that that's a bad choice. Right. But interesting. Well, and, and as Jordan and I, I think the more we watch movies, I think you and I are becoming more and more fascinated specifically with casting. Uh-huh. So if you were like, if you're like a huge Clooney head or something and you're like, why'd they say it wasn't good? I, this is actually not critical of the actors. So when I say something like Johnny Depp, terrible in this, it's not me saying Johnny Depp can't act. It's me saying, I don't think he would fit this material. Just like there's very few actors that can fit in everything. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's zero actors that can do it. What? I used to think there was, but what um, you thought it was Leonardo DiCaprio. I thought it was Leo and I thought it was um, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. But you know, even they have limits. They have limits. We all have limits. Although, see Leonardo DiCaprio break through those limits and Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh my gosh! Yeah, if if it's still playing and you haven't seen it, please go. Watch Is that, that going to have a short theater release? No, because here's the because this is a coming thing. out on Halloween. So why are you saying this? Here's uh, I well I guess if the movie like bombed, which it doesn't seem like it's going oh, to. Oh, honey. Uh, here's the here's the beautiful thing. Apple at the beginning of this year, said, we are going to invest a billion dollars. I don't know if it was yearly or like over the course of a certain amount of time to make sure that our movies have theatrical runs and are funded. And they're like, because we've seen the numbers, we've seen everything, and we see what Netflix does, and we know that when we release something in theaters, we make money, and then when it goes to streaming, everyone wants to see it. When you just drop a movie every weekend on streaming, nobody cares at all. Mm-hmm. And Netflix is actively against theaters, and it's actually stupid. Mm-hmm. And literally, capitalism-wise, makes no sense. Yeah. And I've heard that there might be a theatrical release for The Killer, and if there isn't, it's dumb, and the movie will probably feel like 20% less exciting to me. Yeah. Because it's not an event. Yeah. And I will forget that it's one. I forget that he he directed Mank, not just because I hated the movie, but because there were not posters of it, there were not trailers of it. It wasn't in theaters, so it's like, is it even a movie? No, it's got to yeah. be in theaters. So, another person was Viggo Mortensen. That's. I think that could work. Uh huh. That could I, really that. work. I'd um, watch that for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt was considered, which I think work would not me. work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, Vigo would be great. I mean, Daniel Craig is just so wonderful. He's in great, this, in this. but Vigo yeah. would be so interesting. Now, I wanted to point out this one: uh, Yo- Yoland Visser, Yoland Visser, who is in the band uh, Diantward, which is a yeah, South yeah, African yeah. rap band. She was called, and she turned down the role for this of, movie of Lisbeth. Yes. Um, now, sounds I've, like from what I've heard about the band, the best thing that could have happened to them for this movie. Well, so I saw the movie Chappie, as I'm wont to do, and uh, she gives a performance that I would say bottom five performances I've ever seen in any movie across any medium. It it is so bad. It was crazy. And they, like, took over that production. Yes. Um, Now, I don't think David Fincher asked for that. I think okay. I think studio reached out and her manager's like, hey, they're, they're wanting you to audition for this. And she's like, no, I don't want to do that. Hmm. But I just wanted to point it out just so I could talk about how bad she is in Chappie. Uh, 
Then we have some other big name candidates for the movie. Carrie Mulligan was considered. No. Um, now Elliot Page was considered. Which, mm. no, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, they, they either move forward by their own choice or Fincher's. Um, and Natalie Portman was, was up for it for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. Um, she turned it down, though. I could see that. But I could totally see that. Yeah. Then it got down to four main people. Uh, and this blew my mind when I saw this. And maybe you already saw this. But we have Rooney Mara, who, of course, will get the role. We have Leah Sado, uh, who is the French actress who's in the James, the new James Bond movies. Okay. Um, we have too pretty. S- well, and I, uh, maybe it's just because I've seen No Time to Die f- twice. I think she might be a really boring actress potentially. Sure. I haven't seen we've her French work seen, though. We've never seen the blue is the warmest color or something, which is a. Oh, is that her breakout? Well, I think I've just heard a lot of good things about that movie. Yeah. It just looks boring. Yeah. Um, but, I, I, but having said that, I think she's just boring in... Um, no Time to Die. In, in James Bond. She's just... Yeah. Very, there's like nothing there. Yeah. That's how it feels to me as a lover yeah. of James Bond. But she's good in French Dispatch. But you can't judge a Wes Anderson actor because <laughs> he's so specific about how he uses them, uh-huh. you know? Um. He's someone who Jordan and I always joke about that it's like if they announce any actor to be in any Wes Anderson movie, it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> yep. Um, so she was considered, Sophie Lowe was considered, who I, I looked through her stuff and I wasn't familiar with anything. And then Sarah Snook was considered for this. Whoa, hello. From Succession. Okay, um, great. So this would have been like way early on in her acting career. That, she she could she could have done it. Maybe. I don't I know. Think so. Um but Rooney had to I think she had to kind of fight for this thing, but she so got it. I saw that also Scarlett yeah. Johansson was considered and saw that she was considered too sexy. Yeah. Um and then I and also that makes sense. No, yeah, that makes sense to me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I also read that Rooney like Fincher was just really not sure about her. And he had worked with her on social network prior. Yeah. And so he kept kind of throwing obstacles at her. Literally, he created an obstacle. No, I'm just kidding. But but he just <laughs> kept... Jackass forever. <laughs> There's stuff there. There wasn't it stuff wasn't there, there before. Um, and no, we're not going to explain that. You have to see that movie. But maybe you shouldn't, especially if you're too squeamish. Go ahead. Anyway, but he, he kept providing like hurdles and obstacles for her to, yeah. to, to kind of potentially like deter her and get her disinterested. But she kept overcoming them and fighting for this role and he's like well that's what that character would do so yeah that that's a huge indication or yeah she's proven it to me that she can do it and she is amazing yeah in this um do you want to hit some more actors now that we i still have a bunch of stuff to talk about but it's also in carol women Uh talking um like i said social network nightmare alley mary magdalene yeah so can we have a sidebar on rooney mara if anyone wants to see her eat a full pie in one shot watch a ghost story a movie mike and i could not finish so i have trouble with her and i'll tell you why this movie tricked me into thinking she was like the best actress in the world and pretty much everything i've seen after that she's in um has been like bad to okay you did the job do you like of. her and her 
I don't remember that movie very much, except for that the colors Who were is pretty. She in her? Um, her? Yeah. Is that movie about Anne? Oh, that's like from, his ex-wife uh, or something. Oh, <laughs> is it a movie from Anne from Arrested Development. I think she's good. I, I mean, yeah, she. There are some movies I've been, I've seen that I don't really like, and maybe she was underwhelming for me. But I, I guess she was great in Women Talking. She's she's not in Social Network for very long. She is great in that though. She's just in one scene. Yeah. Um, I, I almost yeah. wonder if she is, as we discussed last Halloween, Michael Fassbender, where she's like one of the best actresses with one of the worst careers. <laughs> yeah. But I forgot that she was in Carol, which I have not seen, but was like a lot of critical acclaim. Mm -hmm. And then what was the third movie? Oh, she's, Women Talking, you said. Yeah. Which she, she's great in acclaim, that. Yeah. Um, Nightmare that, Alley, which I don't even really remember her much. I guess she, yeah, yeah she was like the electricity person. It, you know what? Okay, so I'm revising myself. I think she is good when she's in a good movie. When she's not in a good movie, I just don't see it because it's such a bad choice of a movie. Sure. <laughs> like she was in the Hook movie or whatever with Hugh Jackman. Oh, okay. Where they sing Nirvana. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to see that. No one wants to see that. Yeah. No one wanted to see that. That's true. It was a huge bomb. Um, Christopher Plummer, who we have covered on yeah. the other side of our podcast for Knives Out stuff. Yeah. Um, Stellan Skarsgård, who we've covered in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, Daniel Craig, we have same reasons we've covered. Robin oh, Wright right. have not covered. So we have Unbreakable, my friend. Oh, right. This yeah. is a stack. This is a classic MPU uh, a class of actors. Um, Yorick Van Wageningen plays Beerman, who is the the guy that's in charge of Lisbeth. Oh, the really the bad guy. The guy that assaults her. Yeah. So he is, um, okay, if you're from the Netherlands, are you Danish? You're... Or you're from Denmark. Yeah, that'd be Denmark. What? It, what the, I believe, isn't the Netherlands like the region, which would be like Sweden and Denmark and um, Finland? Yeah, like but he's from the Netherlands, so... Oh, he's ne nether-ish? Look it up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, he is in, also in The Resurrection of a Bastard. The New World, The Judgment, Escape Room, The Letter for the King, all these things I've Dutch. Not seen. Dutch, that's right, that's right. Um and then Which yeah. one do you think Dutch would be German? Deutschland? <laughs> but don't the German call it Deutschland? We call it Germany. Yeah. Um and, I think. and hey, and that's another thing. What's the deal with us not calling countries what they call it? Anyway, that let's just stop it there. <laughs> yeah i think we also color covered stellan Sarsgaard on thor yeah way back in the day all right so let's talk Man, through it's crazy he looks so much like alex Sarsgaard looks so much like him but i saw this picture a while ago of stellan the bill and alex uh -huh. and they all look so much alike like more yeah. than you think yeah there's a hilarious joke uh if if no one if if you're listening to this and you have not watched the show Poker Fo Face Poker Face I would really encourage you to do it, but there's this funny uh, uh, bit in it where she goes to this retirement home and she's working there and of course like a murder happens and she's gonna help solve it and there's these old ladies that are sitting and they watch this like soap opera mystery like murder she wrote show what did they say and they're sitting there watching it and and they have like notepads because they're like taking notes it. and they try and solve it before it ends. And one of them's like, I'm pretty sure that's a scars guard. <sighs> and they're like, no, that's not a scars guard and stuff. And then later it shows them like way later in the episode. 
and it says like starring Wolfgang Skarsgård, and they're like, I knew there was a Skarsgård in this. I knew it. <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about how the production of this movie. In midsummer of 2009, Sony's top brass, Michael Linton and Amy Pascal, begin working on the rights to this movie. They uh, that's Sony Pictures. They're like, let's get this going. Um, the book, the book, the first book was published in 2005. So they're like, this is like a phenomenon. Everyone's read these books. Like, we gotta, we gotta get this. Um, in 2009, Scott Rudin, another producer, gets the rights to make an English version, and he hires Steven Zalian, uh, who had just finished working with Aaron Sorkin on Moneyball. And uh, then by March 2010, the studio was talking to Fincher. And Fincher had weeks earlier just finished photography on Social Network. So the production of this movie... Awards season for Social Network and finishing Social Network is all happening at like one time because Social Network comes out in 2010. This comes out in 2011. Jeez. So Fincher is like doing double time, flying, like, because they filmed this in Sweden. Yeah. Because he was like, we got to film this in Sweden. One of the producers is like, well, can we just do it in Atlanta? And he's like, does it look like Sweden? And that's part of why this movie is so expensive. So expensive. Uh, but it's also like the reason that this works. Yeah. So, do you want to hear a, qu- a a long quote that that David Fincher has about casting involving Lisbeth? Fine. <laughs> so, casting is not just about a person's height and weight. It's not just does the actor fit the picture, but does she bring a force or presence she can build off of? Does the psychological makeup of the character that you're creating fit the person with? whom you're asking to bring it to life. Actors solve problems for you in certain roles. I'd cast Rooney in Network because I needed somebody who was feminine, incredibly verbally facile, somebody who was warm, who could offset how cold and reptilian Zuckerberg was at the beginning of the movie. None of those things applied to Salander, so I knew Rooney under other auspices. It was hard to imagine her in this new role and to get everybody else to imagine it. The question was, can she get to be withdrawn antisocial? So we need a... So we did it a number of times, and about a month or five weeks into it, I realized, wow, she's been able to do every single thing that we've asked of her. I so appreciated the incredibly hard work that went into doing that stuff, even though it might have been intensely discouraging to be continually asked to come back and try again. That speaks to what you were saying. Yeah. Um, finally, it became apparent to me that she was not going away, not giving up. She was going to do what she needed to be done, and that was very Salander-ish. Yep. So Awesome. Um, here's some other stuff, because... I I don't think I don't think we talked on Mike yet about the Netflix of it all. What do you mean? Like lighting and contrast and no. stuff. That was off Mike. Okay. Um because so Fincher wanted to pay homage to a Swedish filmmaker, Bergman um Sven Nykvik's photography. Um so this cinematographer says to reinforce the concept of what a Swedish winter entails um they they use like low winter light and warm fire fires, and they use Sven style, um, like on what was actually available light in Sweden. So there's a lot of like natural light in this movie. Oh, okay. Um, and and this thing here, so it's really interesting to finally get there to see how low the light levels were, how low the sun was for such a big part of winter. Yeah. Um, and so I guess I'll I think that's a good segue. When we were watching this movie, it 
dawned on me, and and I, I I don't think I know quite enough about cinematography and lighting to to fully make this point. But this is a low light movie by what they're saying. The contrast on this movie is very, um, it's not very contrast heavy, um, right? Yeah. Um, and I realized like, oh my gosh, every single Netflix movie and show looks like this. And then I thought, but bad. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm, this looks good. This looks great. But but it's like you're already hearing like the, there's a big conversation about like how do we do this material? How do we do this thing? How do we represent Sweden? And and also it's like you're talking about a mysterious thing where where edges should be blurred because yeah. you don't know can't see who's a bad picture. guy. Yeah, who's a good guy? None of that. So um I just think that they they then in 2016 are like Hey, David Fincher, we want you to make the pilot and set the template for how House of Cards should look, which will be like our... Oh, they came to him for House of Cards? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's my understanding anyway. And it's like, you set the template, and that's how the show's going to look, and the show looks like this. Mm-hmm. And um, then they said, okay, we're done. Everything needs to look like that. And, and, and yet they lost the auteur vision along the way somewhere. Yeah. Because half the time, I mean, we covered it last year, like the Fear Street movies, which we enjoyed. I, I couldn't I couldn't see what was happening in the third movie, like mm-hmm. hardly at all. Mm-hmm. Because it it's like, you, you have to give me some light. Yeah. Or you have to like pump up the contrast or something. Like, I can't see. So what is this? They do this now because they're trying to, like not everyone's TV is up to snuff. So they're like, let's try and figure out a way that, like let's not worry so much about lighting because it's not even going to show up on people's TVs correctly because everyone watches everything from home anymore. Well, that's what I don't understand. Is that part of it? Because uh, I would think that you would want to overlight if that was the case. Because if I like watch a sitcom, yeah, if I watch Seinfeld on my phone, on an old iPod, or on a tube TV, I can see everything that's happening no matter what. Yeah, it's overlit. That's like how you do sitcoms, and that genre um but this is i don't know why they decided that everything has to look the like at bad attempts at david fincher because that's what it is that's that's what i'm realizing is like he set that template for that show and they just said this is everything now and and there and 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 we don't care like if you want it to look different yeah i i don't get it either and now it's become like the trend on everything it seems it just makes you think it has to be has to do something with they made this decision because of people viewing it at home. You know, it, I know it doesn't really make sense because people can't see it, right? But I, I wonder if it has something to do with phones specifically. Really? Because it feels like Netflix is in the business of like we just want people to watch stuff on their phones. We don't like as like wh- wherever you watch it, it's fine. But at the end of the day, people need to be able to watch this on their phone. Is do the, you really think they're still thinking about that? I. From listening to episodes of Blank Check and stuff like that, I get the impression that that is something that producers think is important, is hmm. how does something look on a phone? Just the only time I see people watching stuff on a phone is on a plane. Yeah, I, I don't see it very often, Yeah, actually. Um, or it's like when you're doing something else and you were never going to pay attention anyway. So you're watching like Survivor or something. Oh, on your you know phone? what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Um. So I, I just think... There's something there where, like, maybe the way that the 
the lights work on this, it's like, oh, it'll always look good on an iPhone. Yeah. But on your TV, it looks like crap. You know? I don't know. It's perplexing and very frustrating. We couldn't believe that the terror, a show that takes place in the dark, so much of it, we could see everything perfectly the whole time. If we're watching it in the afternoon, we didn't have to like pull the curtains every time. Oh yeah. It, like we could see everything. Well, and, and, and that show came out in 2017. Right. So it's like at the height of all of this. Yeah. Like craziness of bad lighting. Um, but having said all that, like this movie looks really good. I think yeah. the lighting is good, but it's like intentionality, you know, yeah. it's like, it's just like we say with CGI where it's like, if there's intentionality and it's, it's not just like mandated, like we need one CGI monster in this dumb movie, you know, if, if it, you use it correctly, it can be really eye popping and amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think we're we're reaching this phase where it's like, I don't know, the next twenty years, maybe maybe movies just will like not have lighting people like who who are to the caliber that it used to be. Because they're not being put in situations where they're having to like test their lighting and like push the boundaries of lighting. I I don't know. I hope you know? that's not true. Well, I just remember there was this uh image when Halloween ends came out, a movie I love. So I, Go Corey. I, I'm going to defend this movie. We're team Corey. But they had a point where someone put a side-by-side and it showed Laurie Strode and Michael Myers behind her. And it's kind of like the same shot from, from Halloween what? Ends and then one from the 1978 movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was insane. Oh, insane. Sure. Because one of them is, is the, the 1978 and it just looks immaculate and it is... Like their stark contrast and it's scary. And the other one is washed out and it's low light. And it's just how much of you know, filming takes place. And they're just like, yeah, we'll fix it in post. Oh, uh, and I think that's another when, back then issue. when your things were on film and stuff. It's like, and I don't know the technical stuff of all of this, but it's like, it, it does matter for them to get as much right as they can up front and fix as little as they yeah. can afterward. You don't, you don't really have the same kind of options yeah. on film. Um, yeah. So, and it's like, you know, how come all the auteur movies that come out in theaters still look amazing, have amazing lighting? Yeah. And then you see, you know, a movie by a non-auteur, and it just doesn't look that good. I remember reading for Zodiac, like, with the shot when they go into the trailer, and there's the squirrels, and it's just disgusting oh, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Like, they did so many takes because, like, the ste- like steam wasn't coming in correctly for David Fincher. Oh, wow. It didn't look right enough Yeah, for him, and they kept, like, redoing it and redoing it and redoing it. Wow. And it's like, that that's a guy that has a vision f- first. Yeah. And does everything he can to achieve it. Right. But it's just like, how many filmmakers don't go into it with that, I guess? Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of the Netflix thing, like, you have a lot of up-and-coming filmmakers, and they don't have the kind of cachet or the time. Or the experience. Yeah, but even if they do, like, David Fincher can say, we're going to do this take 60 times and make yeah. sure that we do it right. He's David Fincher. Yeah. Nobody's going to tell him no. Um, but, like, a new filmmaker is like, well, I, you know, we're on a schedule and I want to make more movies after this. Yeah. So I, I get three takes. Yeah. You know, so there's that, mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. like, for sure. Um, but anyway, okay, so more on this movie, though. Trent Reznor was working on the score of this movie as they were filming. So he would be Dang. able to send him the MP3s That's to cool. Fincher while they were filming. Yeah. Um, and 
let's see. Uh, yeah. So they they the movie. Yeah. yeah uh, the, okay. So here's just a little bit on on. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know why I took that one note. And and I'm not editing this. This is yeah. Halloween. It's yeah. scary. Um, I'm terrified. I don't know what you're gonna say. Yeah. So let's see. The film was shot using red digital cameras. Um, Cronenberg said so. There or Cronen with the cinematography. So there might. So there may be shadows. There may be flaws. But it's reality. You allow silhouettes and darkness. But at the same time, we also want shots to counter that, so that it will not. I'll be one continuous dramatic image. Um, Orinoco Flow, the song that plays, uh, was Daniel Craig's idea to Wait, use that song. What? The song that plays. Oh, the Sail Away. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I've always re- I always remember it being much louder. Yeah, me like, too. Like blaring. Yeah. And the fact that it it's not it's just background music makes it more chilling well, than it, my than my memory thinking that it's scary being blaring. Yeah, yeah. To like hide his screams or something, but it's like no, they're in a basement, right? And and so Fincher was like, I think Martin would listen to music, mm-hmm. and and that would like kind of distract him a little bit. Or he said something about like the psychology of it all, and probably got him in the mood. Yeah, and so he's like, I think he would listen to music. It's almost like passive for him. I think is yeah. what he said, like killing this another person. And then David fin- uh, Daniel Craig suggested the song, and it. I think if I'm remembering correctly, everyone was kind of like, really? Like what? And he's like, just throw it on and like, listen. And, and they did. And and then they were like, yeah, this is great. Mm -hmm. Which is, this song is eternally tied to this movie for me now. Yeah, me too. And I can't hear it outside of the context of something very scary. Nothing's creepier than putting on like an ill-placed song to make something scary. Like the, Tiny Tim song will always freak me out. Yeah, because of Insidious. That's the song, right? Uh huh. Yeah, it'll it up. That song really gets under my skin. I wonder when the first time someone did that was. Yeah, I I know like in Scorsese movies, there's pop songs when bad things are happening, but I would feel like the a sadistic. I I would think the first time it was done is American Psycho when he puts on Huey Lewis in the news. Oh, I'm sure this is before that. You think so? Oh yeah, that it movie just, was in the '90s. It just feels like it's still a pretty modern thing. Yeah. I, I just don't feel like there's, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't feel like there's, yeah, you know. so good in American Psycho when he does that. Oh, I know. It's this album when they really hit their stride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So the title sequence. Who made that movie? Um, I can't remember her name. Okay. Mary something. Okay. Um, and I've never seen the sequel. You seen the sequel? What? There's a sequel? Yeah, starring Mila Kunis, American Psycho Two. We're not talking about this. Yeah, it's true. It, there is, and we will only cover that if we get a lot more patrons. I don't want to talk about it. Um, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor uh, did the song in the 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 what is that song? Immigrant song by Led Zeppelin, and the singer is Karen O from Yeah Yeah Yeah. Oh, so they record. They did the cover. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah, and so as they're editing the movie, they're using real mu- the real music that will be in the movie instead of temp music, which is cool and somewhat unique. Oh, um, did they use that while filming to get people in the mood? What do you mean? What do you mean they're using mu- the music in the, the movie? Compose- the composed music, since he was sending it to them while they were editing the movie. I understand. Yeah, I understand. they were able to like, yeah, yeah. put it in instead yeah. of temp music. Um, 
The so the movie was below expectations on its box office. <laughs> Barely. Um yeah, MGM, who's one of the producers on this, wanted it to get at least 10% more. Oh, brother. I know. It won film editing. It was nominated for Rooney Mara, cinematography, sound editing, and sound mixing. And the sequels were going to film back-to-back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then delays in the script in 2012 caused Andrew Kevin Walker, the writer of Seven, to come on and do a, a rewrite of what, of what would be the second movie. Um, and then eventually the fourth book comes out and the, this, cause I remember I would go on IMDb and every once in a while you just see a tidbit where it's like David Fincher says in an interview, like they might be getting closer to being able to do it. Like this has been something they've been trying to do for almost, almost a decade. Like they're still trying to do it. Well, I no, <laughs> because in 2018, oh, they came up with that one. Movie. Sony was like, you know what? We're just going to make the girl in the spider's web which is an adaption of the fourth book, and they say that it's a sequel slash reboot. I'm not counting it for purposes of our podcast um, because this was going to be this David Fincher trilogy of movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, from from all I can tell, it's just, it feels like the stars didn't align with maybe like actor schedules too because I know, you know, Mr. Bond was pretty busy. Um, But it just never crystallized and they they just wanted more money. The studios, they, they they want it to be a bigger hit. Yeah. Not, which I just think is a little bit. Lame. It's cynical, I guess. Yeah. Because it's like, they, I think, I think they could have just kept building. It really building. just came down to money. Yeah. But then. And this movie did well critically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this is a generally well-regarded movie on all fronts. Yeah. But um, I think Gone Girl is next for him. Okay. So. I mean, I really like that movie, mm-hmm. too, so it's like, well, at least we got Gone Girl. Yeah. But Fincher's also someone who, whenever he finishes a project, he's got, like, so many projects that get, like, announced and are worked on and stuff. And But what is the thing that you found out about him? Like, he'll read anything? He'll just something? he'll just read and court, like, a lot of scripts until he, like, fully commits to something. And And I think a lot of times it's like, you know, for a while he was apparently signed on for like World War Z two or something, which is crazy. And I was always like, that'll never happen. But I'm sure he's like, he took the pitch from the studio and he's like, okay, I need $170 million to do this. And I want to do these things in the movie. And they're like, no, you can't, you know, kill Brad Pitt or whatever happens in it. And he's like, okay, then I'm not going to do it. And that's kind of the fun thing about him is I think he can go to all these projects and see the things, and he has enough cachet that he can be like, "Well, these are the things I'm going to do, and I will not budge. And this is how yeah. much it will cost." And he know he doesn't it go over budget. It will be a passion budget. project for him, no matter what. I mean, he has a blank check director. Yeah. So we talk about the movie already. Yeah, I, I yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, we are recording. I just wanted to say one final, final thing for sure is that the the girl in the spider's web made less domestically. Um, than the opening of the like in its whole domestic run it made less than um this movie made in its opening weekend so sony made a bad decision um so the movie begins and we have good old-fashioned christopher Plummer on the phone and he's received another pressed flower and he's like oh no it's happening again kind of a kind of a vibe although it happens every year I don't understand a word that is said on the phone between the two. I, I know when it started, I was like, because I'm, 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big subtitles guy. I don't like turning on subtitles when it's something... I, I'm fine with it when it's a language I don't speak, but I don't understand this trend of like having subtitles on for everything you watch. I don't like that, and I don't get it. We've talked about it. Um, But this movie, there were a couple times where I was like, maybe we should just turn them on, because there's a lot of dialogue that really goes over your head. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know. This is the third time or fourth time I've seen this. It's we okay. know what happens. Yeah. Um. We're, we're not lost. But I will say, I was finishing Andor this morning, and boy, it came in handy when, when Talia started being like, eh, eh, when oh. she started getting tired, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to throw these on so I can yeah. finish this. Um, but then we have what, uh, my buddy Bobby said, and what I agree with the coolest title sequence to a movie that is not a James Bond movie. Unbelievably cool as it's going dun, 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 it really sets the tone. Yes. You have all the like hacker imagery in this. It's like, showing, I think, Lisbeth's, Lisbeth's, um, descent into madness. Yeah. And the tattoos are there, and there's also there's also references to like future books. You can tell because yeah. there's like a hornet that's yeah. run, flying around and stuff like that. It is so cool. Yeah. And then the movie gets into uh, Michael Blum Blumquist. Blumquist. Yeah. Uh, and he has been convicted, found guilty of libel. He yeah. is a journalist, and he came out with a piece about some big business guy, Bloomberg. Warner Wernerstrom. Where did I get Bloomberg? Well, there is a magazine I know, called Bloomberg. Uh, but Wernerstrom or something. Yeah. Um, he sued Mikkel for libel and won. So um, he is taking a leave of absence from Millennium, which is the magazine he writes for. Yeah. Um, it is run by Robin Wright's character. I hate that I'm forgetting the name of that character. Yeah. Uh, I am going to look it up. And it's it's a little tough because I, I'm no Swedish expert, but I, I don't feel like she nails the accent. I think that she is the worst. Erica Berger. Okay. I think she's the worst uh, accent-wise. She's a great actress. Well, there's one guy in one scene. Uh, he's a like a cop in one scene, and it's like, this guy's like New York or Chicago. And he's Either like, that or he's spot on. I no, I, I've seen that guy. Oh, he's like an okay. American actor. Sure, okay. He is okay. like New York or Chicago. Like, <laughs> okay. and, and it showed yeah. in that scene. It was like, okay, David just wanted to work with him. I think so, again. Anyway. This is one of the biggest issues, issues I have with the series. Oh, okay. Series relation- or movie? Series. Okay. Uh, is Mikkel, Mikkel and Erica's relationship. Uh-huh. I think it is so unbelievable. And so ridiculous. So, Mikkel, 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 Michael. Let's just call him Michael. Michael. Let's do away with me trying to figure out how they said it. They, don't they call him Michael no, in the movie? No, they don't. Oh. They, with their accent, they call him like Mikkel. Oh, okay. Uh, but he uh, was married, is not anymore. Um, Erica is is still married. They had an affair, and that's what ruined his marriage. And yeah. it didn't ruin hers. Okay. But her and Michael are still in a relationship together. Yeah. They're F buddies, for yeah. lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. And her husband's just fine with it. Uh-huh. And it just continues throughout the books. It's never, be, it never, ever at any point becomes a point of contention where, like, yeah, the husband was okay with it. But as time goes on, it's like, like, I can't. Or, yeah. I actually, this does bother me. This isn't okay. No, never. Uh huh. The guy's fine with being a cuckold. Yeah. 
And it is so dumb to me. It's like, is this a sweet, is this part of like a Swedish culture thing? <laughs> right, right, I'm right. not getting, which I don't think so. Yeah. It, it, it's just so unbelievable. And I hate every, I, I like the character Erica uh-huh. in, in the books and in this movie. Um, there's a lot of great stuff with her later on and uh, the other two books too. But I hate it so yeah. much. And anytime her and Michael were together, it was just reading it. It it was just like, I I needed to get through it. Kind of grip my teeth. Oh, sorry. That's it. How do you feel about the movie's portrayal of their relationship? I still hate it. Yeah. I think it's stupid. In terms of like, they do provide some exposition. Yeah. Or or, or not exposition. You know, they move the story along. This this story, this script is, and books too, but like this script is so economical. Yeah. No matter what's happening in the, in the movie, it is moving it forward. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so regardless if I agree with their choice yeah. to continue to have a relationship together, they're still moving our main plot forward. Right. But I think it's so stupid. Does it not yeah. bother you? Um, it, it, I mean, it, it bothers me in, in the way that like, like it's sad to me, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they're also fictional characters. Um, but I, I think the way it's, so I've only read the one book and I don't, f- I don't remember that part of it. Yeah. Um, and so you said there's more as it goes on. Um, I think that would annoy me in the books. I think what's presented in this movie is believable and makes sense. Okay. Um, and and I think it I think it provides a really like sad tension at the end of this movie. It does absolutely because it's like you know that. I mean, it's it's not the most common that like someone cheats and then they're with their cheater like to live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Um, it does happen sometimes, but, um, and so like at the end of this movie, when Lisbeth like goes to him and she's going to basically like, like do this grand gesture yeah. and you see him go off with Erica, uh, Erica, it, there, there's this like, oh, dude, like that's not going to work. And this might be tough with Lisbeth, but you got a better shot at this. At least that's how I feel. And so it makes me like sad that he's going off with, erica at the end of the movie like not not just like oh this makes elizabeth sad but it also is like dude that's not gonna fulfill you i think yeah something not i'm just thinking about the books and again the books are great yeah, yeah. i really enjoyed them yeah i plan to read the other i two. think maybe in the third book there's this other character that's introduced and she's some kind of investigator like maybe more on a federal level uh-huh and she gets involved with all this stuff, and they get into a relationship together. And it's like, really, every hot girl that comes into this book, Michael is just going to be with, right? And are we really doing this? That's Which, that's when you get into like the male author, yeah, s- screenwriter, whoever. Like there can it's like, be. Why can't she just there? be a great detective? That is, you're describing how athletic and you know right. how great her body is, basically. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it is a weird thing where I mean it's it's like the it's like the whole Game of Thrones thing when I yeah well, before I quit watching that show anytime I would see a woman on screen I was like okay what like start the clock how long until until she's, she's naked. naked you know what I mean and yeah. it's like that's not I don't think that's very good writing that's not if how people you want to like, watch something yeah and and I also think that that's not very good writing yeah you know the um, sad thing for the for this story in particular oh she's really playing with her toys down there that's she good. loves that thing that's like her favorite thing right now the book one yeah yeah um i mean i guess we're talking about the end of the movie right now but yeah. the, the thing that saddens me about it is bless you um in a way yeah. it's like lisbeth should have known 
Right. Because, so in the beginning of this movie, she is hired. She works for this oh, security yeah, yeah, yeah. company um, to, that, that uh, hired for any purpose. So she is uh, hired to look into his background yeah. because Christopher Plummer is considering him for a job. What, one she, of my favorite intros of a character in like her, modern cinema. For I, her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like just seeing the motorcycle and hearing her boss be like, because she's she talking to this home, guy. All this stuff. And like, he's like, she never I really comes in here. don't think you should meet her. And he's yeah. like, I'm afraid that you won't be happy with her when she's here. Yeah. And she's like walking down the halls and everyone's kind of like, it's kind of like Meryl Streep and uh, Devil Wears Prada <laughs> where people are like, ooh, zoinks. Yeah, she's hardcore. And like the guys at, you know, she's telling. He's got the file and everything. He's like, I want to know what your opinion is. And she's like, you didn't hire me for my opinion. And he's like, yeah, but what's your opinion? Yeah. Um, and she, therefore, gives, she gives a great, see, we're, we're too, we're not going to say it, but she gives a line that always sticks with me about, <laughs> about sex. That's, that's always like, that is kind of a hilarious moment in this movie. Yeah. And so because she knows that thing about him sexually. Yeah. She, in a way, it like proves how great of an investigator she is. Yeah. Also, though, she because she knows Michael more than Michael knows himself. Yeah, in many ways, and that that's like the the sad thing. And I'm not this is absolutely in no way like blaming her character at all. Yeah, I I think it is like that's what humanize Michael humanizes her. Yeah, and that's why it makes sense that she would fall in love with him. And then, but but you know, it's like she knows all these. She knows his pattern. Yeah, he's with he's been with Erica off and on for years. Yeah. So why why would he why would he stop? When, ever. And, it's the most convenient relationship a man could ever have. Uh, right. It, now, are you saying are you criticizing it or just saying that makes you sad? No, it makes me sad. Yeah. And I'm not criticizing at all. Because this is like, like, it's one of those things that like when you're young and you hear about something like this, you think like, oh, this is really definite. It's very easy. If that happened, like you just dropped a person. Yeah. Whatever. And then as you get older, because I, I, I think the, uh, as I am realizing it now, like the great like um, brilliance of the last scene of this movie is like the characters have moved on, but they kind of haven't changed in a way. Okay. Um, well, maybe she did. Well, she she did. Or has, or is. I, I'm, I'm kind of formulating yeah. it as I, as I go. Um, th- they did change, but they like, they, they're their patterns are still there. I okay. guess, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Like, like their pattern. Cause I think, um, uh, a more Hollywood esque ending is that not what happens in that last scene. And I don't remember how the book ends. Um, I think it's got a, I think it's similar. It's been so long since I've read it, but yeah, but I just, I, I feel like that's the, that's like the human touch that, that is, that is so interesting and brings an element of realism where it is mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's just going to go back to this comfortable relationship. So I read a thing that the, you know, I love stuff like you and I had already talked about this the other day, but I love stuff like this. So this movie is about this crime or this disappearance that he's investigating. It's all, it's also about him being sued for libel and everything like his reputation. But what it's really about is Lisbeth and Michael saving each other from their circumstances. So Michael is a huge, big fat failure. Yeah. And retreats into the countryside of Sweden yeah. to write this guy's memoirs. And Which, hey, if there's any Swedish listeners that need us to retreat to work on some podcasts I'll or do it. albums or art or whatever, like, I mean, hit us up. But, like, he, you know. I'd he, solve a crime. I don't think we're capable of that. 
shut up. But yeah, so he he's this big fat failure, and she, as we see throughout while this movie goes on, she has been violated in the worst way possible. Yeah, and has had a very hard life. Has right, you know, not exactly the first time she's been violated. Yeah, in the worst way possible, and them like coming together, working on this case together, but also like in their weird way, falling in love. Like they saved each other yeah. from each other. Yeah. You know? And, and so spoiler alert for the rest of this, do, do they wind up together in the books? Do you recall? You really want to know? Cause you're going to read them. Oh, right. I'm not going to tell you. Hmm. Okay. I feel like they wouldn't. Yeah. Actually, I feel like you already told me they don't. Maybe I did. Would that be Does true? She seem like did? someone that could end up with someone. no, no, but and that's not me answering the question. <laughs> yeah. Asking a question. But hey, here's what's great. I mean, we were, we were talking about, you know, in the making of this movie, them, them adapting this Steven and David and, and talking about how they were like, it's about a boy and a girl. Yeah. Like at the heart of it. And what's interesting is, you know, we're over an hour into this episode and we've like not really talked about like the story. Mm-hmm. which I think is proof that they actually accomplished their goal because yeah. it's like that, that is as interesting as the story is. It's not what you leave the movie remembering. That being said, the story is super interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Christopher Plummer hires Michael to write his memoirs, but really he hires him to try and f- discover, try and figure out what happened to his granddaughter. Uh, niece. Niece. I think 40 years ago, she disappeared. Henrietta, right? Or Harrietta. Harriet? Harriet. Harriet. 40 years ago, she disappeared. Yeah. Um, And he has been... She She's the one who has given him pressed flowers every year on his birthday. And it has continued even since she's disappeared. Yeah, so he's like, I believe someone killed her. And, and they're been, the one who've been sending them to me. And I believe it that it's someone that lives on this island. Yeah. It's one of my family members. And he comes from this big succession-style dynasty yeah. where they're like... This they built the this country like rail systems, oil, everything. They're huge. All of them hate each other now, more or less. Not all of them, but a lot of them don't speak to each other. A couple of them are Nazis, um, like literally Nazis. Literally Nazis. Um, so and, it, and Michael comes in and he's like, "I got my knives out, beaks bloody." Is that a Calvin's Brothers thing? No, that's Knives Out when <laughs> he's. It also just sounds like a Calvin's Twins. <laughs> but beaks he, bloody. That's what he says. Knives out, beaks bloody, <laughs> oh, okay. on his on his big I like montage at the end. Continuing to go in my head. Yeah. Driving. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember um, on our episode? Oh, it was a while ago, but it was an episode. I think I think both the Eden brothers were on. Maybe just Dan, uh, and he was saying how him and his wife around the house before Glass Onion came out, he would just like if something was askew or something, he'd go, what is this? Some kind of glass onion. (laughs) (laughs) And I think about that. uh, If you're listening, dad, I I think about that somewhat often. (laughs) And, and whenever they reveal the title for the next one, whenever they make it, I'm going to think about that again. (laughs) And just, what is this? Some kind of whatever they come up with. (laughs) That's funny. Um, Um, yeah. Anyway. So he accepts, he's going to live in this cottage on the property. Yeah. And, do the, start investigating. Yeah. Um, so we see the next big portion of the movie is him starting to investigate. He right. needs to learn everything about what's already been investigated. So he's going around interviewing people and the police and stuff about the day it happened. Yeah. It was like 1960 something. 
Um, there was a big accident on the bridge, so there's a big hubbub. Right. And she got lost in all that shuffle. Yeah. Was either, but there was no way in or out of the island. That's that what, was the big thing. So it's like someone she, killed her and put her there. And it's, she left with nothing. Yeah. Like like she she would disappeared and like nothing was taken out of her room. Yeah. Um so therefore he doesn't Christopher Palmer doesn't believe that she just ran away. Right. And he doesn't believe she would have a reason to run away necessarily. Yeah. Um, Which is a fun twist. Yeah. And around this time we meet Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. Um well, one of these scars guards. Oh, yeah, Daddy, Daddy Scar. <laughs> um, you said so when I started watching Andor, I said Stellan Skarsgård is this, and you said, "Oh, beware, he's probably the bad guy." Now, what led you to make that statement? Because I started I thinking know, about his too. movies, I started and I was thinking like, about it too. I he's think... not a bad guy in Pirates of the Caribbean. No. He's not a bad guy, and what else am in I Thor. thinking? Of? Thor. Not a bad guy in it. Well, actually, he's kind of gray in Andor, and that's what's really interesting about his character. He is bad in Doom. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that he has a menacing, uh, antagonistic vibe. Yeah. In a good way as an actor. And that's why anytime he's cast, like anything he's casted in is always interesting. Oh, yeah. I guess I I do skew more towards he is, um, what is it in D&D? He's evil, like oh, oh, chaotic evil or something or he, like that. He's neutral evil or something. Yeah. I, I skew that way with him. But I don't know why. But maybe it's because his sons that both well, of his and, sons are like that too. But here, what's what I think is funny, and and it speaks to the quality of this movie is when you said that, my initial thought is like, oh yeah, he's always a bad guy, and the only thing I thought of was him in the basement with Orinoco Flow playing, and I'm just like, man, he can get scary. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, I don't know, he's like doofy in Thor, and he's he's like regal and 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 like he's a pretty versatile actor. I mean, he, the he guy's is. incredible. Yeah, he's like always great. Yeah. Um, but oh, he, he's also in uh, but that movie doesn't really have any villains. Um, so I think it was the first movie I saw him in. It's the Lars von Trier movie, Melancholia. Yeah, he's in that. Oh, I don't remember that. that. Yeah, that was the first time I saw him. Um. But yeah, I, I think that this movie, his performance is so good that you're like, oh yeah, that's the guy that's always the bad guy because of this movie. Yeah, there's just he's in Chernobyl. Yeah, uh, and he's is, not a bad guy. Is in he that. not though? I don't think so. I don't remember. I mean, that's also gray. That's a history. But yeah. I mean, there are people that could have warned people. Oh, there's some bad people. <laughs> yeah, I only saw the first episode. But. <laughs> I've only seen every one but the last one. It yeah. got too sad for me. <laughs> for some reason, I have not brought myself to finish it. <laughs> And you never will. I apparently not, because here we are. And I remind you every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but no. It was uh, probably the episode where they had to go kill the dogs. Oh yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Didn't see it. Only saw the first one. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, and and I don't know. The, I I guess I'm I'm probably not super Maybe, familiar with I, like the entire depth of I this think, guy's work, but yeah, Th- this performance is one of his defining ones. Oh yeah, I think so. Maybe yeah. that's why I think that. Yeah, but yeah. It, so spoiler funny. alert: he's the bad guy in this. Yeah, <laughs> um, and he what what he does throughout the story, which is super interesting and love. Yeah, is he is nothing but helpful. Yeah, anyone who listens to true crime knows that anyone who is the first to show up or is the most helpful, mm-hmm. oftentimes is the person who committed the crime. Yeah. Um. And well, he, and, uh, what what's interesting is the whole movie. You're like, because I but there's I, an I was added fr- element to, to his right, too. and yeah. like, because the whole movie, I keep thinking, 
I mean, we're just bouncing around. But I, I just keep thinking, like, I, f- I forgot the twist. I yeah. forgot that Harriet is alive and uh, oh, escaped. Yeah, I didn't forget that. And ran away. And so the whole movie, I'm like, why is he being so helpful? And then when you have that scene, the song's playing, and he's like, you killed Harriet. And he goes, what? He got he- mad. And, and, and it was so real. And it's like, so he has been helping because he actually... He, didn't he doesn't think, know what happened to her He didn't either. think his stuff was going to get wrapped up in this. Yeah. He knew it was a, you know, he was keeping eyes on him. How do you write something like this? It's crazy. I know. So then when he finds, like the whole movie, he wants to find out what happened to his sister. Yeah. Who he has a very bad relationship with, but a controlling one, no doubt. And it would probably like to make sure that it's quiet or maybe he does love her in a sick way, you know? Probably that. So, um, Yeah. Uh, so then let's go to Lisbeth. Uh, another wonderful thing about this movie is you have, I mean, I, I didn't mark it, but the main characters do not associate and their storylines like well do not cross movie, I think. until like halfway through. Yeah. It's great. And I love when movies do that Me too. and pull it off. So she is a ward of the state and yeah. she, uh, this one dude has been kind of in charge of her, especially her guardian. Like, guardian yeah she's had a guardian um for her whole life and it's been this very sweet older man yeah and he has a stroke yeah so he is no longer competent to be her guardian she's reassigned to a new one and it's this guy that takes advantage of her yeah he completely rules her life and in every facet yeah um when he rapes her i mean just yeah no no he does um and i don't know what i was gonna say well, she, but, de- yeah. she doesn't take kindly to that. No. Um, well, so he he forces her to do something, and then later on, she's asks him for more money. Yeah. So she goes to his apartment to where he sexually assaults her again. Yeah. And she gets this on camera. Yeah. So she goes back to his place at another time, and she does the same thing back to him. Yep. And then she says she recorded everything from the last time they met. Um, so if he is ever to say anything, do anything, whatever, she will release this video. And then she also tattoos on, on his body. I'm a rapist pig. Yeah. And it is a brutal scene. Yeah. I mean, I mean, all of this is so, I mean, it's hard to like talk about, but I, I think that this movie is extremely graphic. It, It is, but, um, I feel like in my memory, I remember it worse than the actual images that are shown. Okay. And I, I think that's a, a strength of David Fincher, um, where it is like, like there's a actually great example. Ari Aster, Hereditary and Midsommar are two movies he made. People love both movies. Um, Hereditary, I found to be extremely, extremely scary. Midsommar was so graphic and and it it was so like i'm gonna show you you know like if someone jumps off a cliff and their head hits the rock you're gonna see the shot see of that pop like a balloon yeah and and it like i know that's intentional so i'm actually not criticizing midsummer it's definitely a choice yeah um but to me i was like as far as horror and scary this isn't even like the same caliber as the movie you just made yeah in, I don't, in my brain i don't know because also it reminds me of um in Northman when um they like dismember that person and like stake them onto the 
building. Yeah. When they like cut to that, I to me it was just like, why? This just seems kind of silly. Unless I'm sure the movie's historically accurate. So yeah. like that probably happened in certain like at times or whatever. But there's probably historical texts. Yeah. Um. But it, it's just so like at a certain point to me, just so silly. It like rips me out of the moment is what I mean yeah. by it. Therefore, I just don't care for it. Right. But and, again, I don't like, maybe he's not doing it to, you know, and, and it, I, it's, it goes beyond shock value. Like maybe there's more significance to it. Yeah. And, and, and this is an episode about Midsummer, and I'm, I'm not going to like try to parse, parse that out. Um, and I'm, again, I'm not saying that that's the wrong choice for that material, but it's, it's just, this movie is an example of something where, like that first scene that he assaults her, I always imagine that as a much longer scene because it is so uncomfortable and it's so terrible and it's it's really a fast. It's not that long. Well, he does her the the first sexual oh, assault. It's oh, like okay. it's a very short sequence. Yeah. Um. Then the next one, I you know that one is definitely like just graphic, you know. Um. But then when she's like attacking him, um. It it just feels even worse than what the images you're seeing to me at least, yeah. and and I think that is a mark of a really good director in this kind of genre. When when you walk away and you just imagine certain things that happen, there, there's this like phenomenon um, that they talked about in Blank Check, where in Seven, another David Fincher movie, um, there were people who like they they remember talking to people who were like, yeah, that movie's so good. It's just like it's so over the top that you see Gwyneth Paltrow's head. And there's like a lot of people that thought like they saw her head. It's not in the movie. You never see what is in the box, but people were so convinced and that movie so uncomfortable that they walked out and they were like, yeah, you, it's so gross when you see her head. That's like too much for me. Mm. And it's not even in there. You know, who's also great at it? Who? M night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so good at, what's unseen uh -huh. leaving it unseen he is yeah so anyway wanted to kind of point that out um so after all of that she then can has c full control of her finances because she's like if you do anything else i'm gonna come back she'll blackmail him she oh, is blackmailing him yeah yeah and and she also is like you have to be celibate now and if you try not to be i'll kill you mm -hmm. um and uh, there's a scene later where she checks in with him and goes to the elevator. And his acting, he's so scared. Mm -hmm. He is so scared. And she's like, I didn't think that last report you did was very good. I need to be improving more in that report. Mm -hmm. So all of that happens. And that's like, that takes up like all of her portion. And, and there's an element of like, what does this have to do with like Michael? You know, he's over yeah. here. He's investigating. He's trying to figure this out. So um, by the time that stuff's happening, yeah, Michael gets to a point where he needs an assistant. Yeah, and he asks for one, and the the guy that hired him, not Christopher Plummer, but like his guy, yeah, it is like I know exactly, I know the exact right person. Yeah, it's Beth. So, um, he, I does he tell him that it's the guy, the one, like the it was the person who ran your background check, and yeah, and he's like, I want to read that background check. Yeah, um, so he's a little pissed when he meets her. Because he saw what she dug up on him. Yeah. And. I, one, one thing, though, really quick. I just want to say, when he first starts his um, investigation, there's just a great montage 
where he's looking through stuff and highlighting and we're seeing images from the past and mm-hmm. all the images in the past are like yellow mm-hmm. um, and it just looks great and it's awesome. Yes. And I, I love a good crime montage. Yeah, so Yeah. But he, yeah, he finds her, he, he comes to her home and yeah. barges in with coffee and breakfast. Um, she had someone over the night before. It, it's just yeah, all yeah. so disorienting. Yeah. Um, after she blackmails the guy, is that when she goes to the club and picks up that person? I think so. I mean, so. I know that happens I think after, so. but yeah. is it kind of like a right after? I think so. I'm trying to see if I, I don't think I wrote that down. So if that is the character that I think it is, and I'm assuming it is, that, that character is in the other books too, at least the next one. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, But he, she has to kick out the the woman she brought home and they so her and Michael start talking. Uh-huh. He's saying, um, that does he propose the job to her? Yeah, he proposes yeah, yeah. to her. Then they he starts going through the case with her. He shows her some papers and she's like, Okay, I'm gonna go get my things. He's like, Here, take this with you to look at it. And she's like, No, I already got it. She is yeah. like perfect she has perfect memory. Fo- photo photographic. Yeah. Um, which I heard that that's not possible. That that's there's not There's stuff real. you should know about it that says Oh, maybe that's not. what I what I did. But I think some people are just just have better memories. Yeah, I don't know. I listened to that so long ago. Too. Yeah, and maybe there's new research because I, I feel like it's just kind of accepted that it is real. I don't know. I don't know either. Anyway, um, yeah, and and meanwhile, Christopher Plummer has bought the paper because they're like, you know what, Michael, Obama we don't want you to worry about this. Yeah. We can finance it, and we don't like that Warner Strum is is like um, bullying you. So you know he's got he's sitting kind of pretty there. So Lisbeth starts doing her own looking up stuff. He continues his own. So he Michael has Harriet's notebook. Yeah. Um. And in at on the last page are names and numbers, and he can't figure out what they are. Yeah. His daughter visits him, and essentially she's like, wow, I'm surprised you have Bible verses written down. Because she's yeah, religious and he's Yeah, not. that is really interesting. Yeah. Because she she says something like, you're disappointed in me because I have a faith, or something yeah. like that. And it's like, whoa, that's like not the story you typically see or hear of yeah. a relationship between a, a mother or a father and a daughter or parent. Absolutely not. So he looks up the Bible verses— also, that is such a crime trope, but I do love when someone's like, have fun trying to figure out those verses, and the person's like, what? Oh, I know. And they're like... Because it's like, there are women's names and just numbers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But, it, it gets us going. Yeah. So, he sees that they're all... Are they all Old Testament? No, I don't think they're all so, Old Testament. I think most of them are Leviticus, and they're laws given to the mm-hmm. Israelites, and they usually involved... They involve, like... How to punish someone based on a certain sin they committed. Yes. Yeah. And they so, were usually around like sex stuff. Yeah. And so I they correlated. All, not all. They correlated with murders that took place throughout the 60s, maybe the 50s. I think 50s and maybe even, I think the first one was in the 40s even. Okay. Of women that were murdered, Swedish women yeah. were murdered. And the ways that, the way that they were murdered uh, correlated with the, like the, these Bible verses. Yeah. Um, I but think this is they, that's, very creepy. Who, whoever's they, saying or whoever did the narration of the Bible verses, very creepy. Oh yeah. 
Um, it was so good. I love the pacing of this where he's, I, if it's been a couple days, yeah, but didn't they pace it to where like, he's looking up all this stuff and Lisbeth is also kind of doing uh-huh, it. And uh-huh. then once she gets to the cottage, they're like, it yeah. like comes to a head about Yeah. It. And she's like, she's basically like, okay, so the first murder, da, 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 da. And he, and he's like, you know, do you want coffee? Do you, you know, yeah. he, he wants the, but she's not that type of person. Yeah. And, and again, we, we got to praise Rooney on this performance because I, I know in my heart that there are other performances like this, and boy, do they not work. And this works. And ever, I feel like since this performance, there have only been bad imitations of this one. Yeah, because there, there's a lot of that like like blanket kind of, oh, this person is like antisocial, but they're really smart Yeah, kind of thing. It. It actually the first one that comes to mind, funny enough, and I have not seen the movie yet, but it would be Ezra Miller's Flash. Okay. Kind of has that vibe, although they add a bunch I of they tried humor making to it. Funny. Um No, they, they they did, but but it's also like the character is, you know, really awkward but kind of smart. And it just falls flat. At least in Justice League. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um Yeah. But we'll see. We're about to watch that movie. Yeah. So from my understanding of my memory from the books, the character of Lisbeth too is like, she's considered mentally challenged uh-huh. because she's antisocial when she's actually a genius. Yeah. And yeah, that exact the hard needle of the thread. That exact t- type of character is so easy to make someone just seem like they're doing a poor imitation. Yeah. Or a, just a bad representation. I remember there's a, there's an episode of, the judge or uh of blank check on the judge uh the robert downey jr yeah. movie which is a horrible movie um but they i forgot the term that they used but they called it like convenient mental challenges sure or something like that yeah. um and i don't know how you would like say it in a way that's more kosher but uh it's also like it because in that movie vincent d'onofrio has an intellectual disability okay and he, but it's that kind of thing where like halfway through the movie, it's like he, but he has, he's really smart in this one thing well, and he remembers that, something that like helps them all know what needs to happen. I don't know if anyone can, if anyone's experienced this, but I have so many family members throughout my life that are like, yeah, this person has Asperger's, but they're, oh my gosh, they're like so good at cars. They're like, they're like a savant at cars. Like, you you know how like people with Asperger's are like, they have, they're really good at one thing. Yeah. And it's like, and that's their thing. And it, and I understand that people are, that's like, they're showing a positive thing about yeah. someone who has a, who is challenged by something, but it, beca- it becomes like their identity. They're, they're, they're like p- pigeonholing yeah. people who experience those disabilities. And it just, whenever people, people say like, but they're really, really good at math. Yeah, well, and and there's a there's a connotation there, and and I know because I work in that field. Yeah, uh, like there, there's a connotation when someone says something like that, and and it's tough because it's like we're currently evolving into yeah. better language and better understanding. Yeah, but like the connotation is like, oh, if they weren't into that thing, they would not be worth value. Yeah, and it's like no, wrong. It's like like they are look that you're really good at things so they can contribute to society. And it's like wrong. Yeah. You were born, you're a value. Period. Yeah. End of sentence. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what what you have, you have value. Yeah. 
Um, but movies often get into that trap, and, and The Judge is one of those where it's like, oh, two hours into the movie, this character has this specific detail, yeah. and it's like, oh, brother. And that, that's such a trope in dramas. Yeah, but in this movie, they did it. They, they, yeah, I think it's uh, really it's, well done. Well, the, and the, the character's well-written in the book. Yeah. Person's well-written in the script, and then it's well-performed. Yeah. So... Just a tough, tough needle to thread for yeah, sure. Yeah, so they're they're starting to investigate what what happens next. Um, well, Michael, gets they track these, down the photo girl. Yeah, they get um, there's there's this picture of a parade that happened on the day of the disappearance that Harriet is in, and Michael notices or he he gets several of the images, uh-huh. and then he sees Harriet's expression for, change from happy to sad, mad, no longer happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he has to figure out who took that picture of her. Or, or no, no, there's a, someone taking a picture behind her. He needs to find that person because it's pointed in the direction that Harriet is looking. So he tracks down the lady. Yeah. Tracks down the picture. Yep. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> boom, boom, boom. give us anything for a long time. Yeah. In a great way. Uh-huh. Um, can we kind of skip forward a little bit? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, Christopher Plummer has a, a heart attack, and so his hi- life is hanging by a thread. Michael's not sure where his job lies, therefore his, like, interest in the case. Yeah, yeah. Quite literally. Um, but they get access to everything. Um, I love And, and I love the company this. and the family, whatever. This scene's great. So um, around that time, Michael needs to interview one of the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And he tries oh, to get another. I, thinking, I know. I, but yeah, I think yeah. I'm skipping over it. But he tries to get one of the family members to talk to him for him. But she has not spoken to him in years and yeah. will not. And she will not talk to him. Yeah. So he has to go talk to this Nazi. And I thought this was so interesting that he has to go to this man's house and this man is a nice person. Yeah. Yeah. He just the people will not talk to him because he was. An, and it's like I get it. Yeah. And he still like would consider like he still very much sympathizes. Yeah. With the fascist movement. Right. Based on what he has said. Um, and it was just so interesting that he was a very, he seemed to be a charismatic old man that doesn't get any visitors. Right. Right. And Michael gets another picture that this guy took. Um, and it's, it has some people in it, but one of them is also Martin Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. Then, yeah. Lisbeth's in like the archives of the family. Yeah. Digging up stuff. Yeah. And, and also, at one point, Daniel Craig gets shot. Shot at. Shot at. It skims his head, and he gets stitched up, and then Rooney and Daniel Craig get oh, yeah. down. I saw that that blood was CGI on his face in the shower. Are you serious? That's what I saw, and I just have never seen it look like that good. What? Yeah. So I know, because I think Zodiac on, he doesn't use... Real blood. Real blood anymore. It's funny that they wouldn't use real blood in that scene because he's just underwater. But well, here's the thing, because uh, because I I remember reading this about Gone Girl, and I'd be curious to watch the scene again. But in Gone Girl, spoiler alert, there's a scene where she cuts Neil Patrick Harris across the neck, and blood comes gushing out. And I I that was a that was all CGI blood, which I'm like that is the most impressive like thing I've ever seen yeah, in, in a I'm way curious what it looks like now too. But if this was CGI, then I'm sure that holds up. Yeah. Um, cause the Zodiac blood, 
sometimes looks a little stodgy, but for the most part, it it holds up. Stodgy when you're watching Great British Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the whole thing with Fincher, as we've talked about in our Zodiac episode, is he likes to go take, 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 take. Just do all the takes. He also loves CGI. And he he does. Um, I think I do think he's one of the better filmmakers at using CGI. He uses like you. If you've watched a David Fincher movie, especially like more recent ones too, uh, the percentage is high of what is not real. Yeah. And what you're looking at that, but you would never know that. And I think that's the genius that he uses of CGI. That's, that's why he's good at it. Yeah. He's using CGI for things that you shouldn't be looking at. Exactly. Like there's scenes in this movie, I think, where there was not snow and there's now snow yeah. and you would never know what We scenes. just watched Panic Room too. And there's a shot, like a technical one shot that goes through the house yeah and today it's now looking you can tell oh that it's cgi but i still think it looks good it's fun i think it matches the tone of that movie i don't even know if i need to qualify it as fun like it's that obvious i think it just still looks good yeah you make it sound like you don't think it looks good i think it looks fun (laughs) as with a lot of the fight club shots they look fun okay but dated you know i just yeah I, I'm also not the biggest, I'm just personally not the biggest fan of cameras going through objects. It's just not my favorite what thing What objects in the world. did this one go through? It went through a chair and a coffee mug and the walls. Like literally through the coffee mug or through the handle? The handle. Okay. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm just not the biggest fan of that. But he needed to show us the layout of the house. I, I know, I know. I'm, I personally am just, I'm just not that, uh, that big of a fan of that. Okay, fine. Let's keep um, going. This baby is probably not going to have very long, and I cannot pause this podcast one more time. I'm not joking. <laughs> okay, okay. But um, anyway, so he does a lot of takes, and the reason he does not do, or he does CGI blood, I mean, is because then they can do a lot of takes, and mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, reset wardrobe. Like, it's going to take us an entire day to get this shot of him in the bathtub. It's like, no, we can do 60 shots, break for lunch, mm-hmm. and then move on or whatever, yep. you know? So, um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And and I will say, because we talked about this off mic with Blank Check's coverage of David Fincher, they've talked about how, yes, that's grueling to do so many takes, but as an actor, for some people, it can be really liberating because you have more opportunities, and he's going to make sure that you have like the, the space and the time to actually do what you both want to have happen. Because I think he, him and Kubrick are always kind of talked about as like tyrants in mm-hmm. a way. And and Griffin, who is an actor, kind of talked about it like to have that kind of space and that mental freedom to be like, no, 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 like keep going, man. Let's do another take. Because I, I think some actors have described him as that kind of presence on set where he's like, let's do another one. Yeah. Do you feel good about that? Yeah. Okay, let's do it again. Yeah. Which um, maybe I'm sure makes it feel more collaborative. Yeah. Too. But then like Jake Gyllenhaal and Zodiac was like, oh my gosh, like this is the most grueling process ever. And I hated doing oh, is that it. What he said? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. he was also trying to win an Oscar for Brokeback Mountain. So he may have been a little distracted. Oh, was but it turned into during that time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, but he was also, that's one of his best performances ever. So yeah. it works. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so the gunshots gives his head, then they get down. <laughs> um, then they both like independently figure out, what's going on which i love me too i love that too so she's in the file room and she's matching up the murders with like locations she's got the maps out yeah and she she's kind of pinning down that 
Martin slash Dylan Skarsgård's dad, she's yeah. suspecting that he's the one who's been doing these murders. Because they all match up wherever he's traveling, one of the murders happens. Yes. But then so, she gets to the bottom one. To where he's dead. But there's yeah. a murder. That there's a murder. And she's aligns like, what? with these. So she's yeah. not sure who. Um, meanwhile, Michael is looking between those po- photographs again. And th- this one, too, I, I like it. I it, it I can... I could see someone being like, really, you could get that by just thinking, you seeing the side of someone's face. You just, you're going to jump to that conclusion. I th- I like it because yeah, he's yeah. got like a, a blurry half of Martin's face in one picture. And then he's got a, a half of his face with the balloon. Yeah. The other thing though, is he's wearing the same jacket, I think with the same logo. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's both, what he mentions. Yeah. Um, because so Martin said that he was on the four thirty train that day. He missed everything. He missed the wreck or yeah. he came late to the wreck. Never saw Harriet, all this stuff. But the photo, once he, once Michael discovers it is Martin, proves that he was lying. He was yeah. never on that train. Yeah. There's also a clock above him that just shows the time, which is before 4.30. Yeah. Um, so he gets it first. Yeah. And so he goes to Martin's house. He does break in, technically breaks in. Yeah. Um, and is trying. And enters. And enters. And is looking around Martin's house. Is, I think he's a little bit like, I don't know what to do. I just figured out who it is. Yeah. Kind of situation. Also the sound in this scene with the wind passing so in and out of the house. Yeah. So good. Um, Which they set up earlier when they're having they do. dinner. They do. And they also show in the scene that he's goes into his office. We see his gun cabinet. There's a gun missing. Uh-huh. Which one, you know, I, he's the one who shot Michael. Yeah. But then also there's a gun missing. Yeah. Is what I think too. Um, so he, Martin comes home. He tries running away. He's, he's caught. Well, he trips. Yeah. And then Stellan says, he says something to the effect of, hey, I, uh, why don't you come inside? We learn some more information about the case. And Daniel Craig knows that he's the killer. Mm. And yet he goes inside, which leads. No, no, no. Martin says, uh, Christopher Plummer wanted me to give you a message. Yes. Yeah. And so then Stellan is basically like, I see that you caught on to things. He sees a kitchen knife is missing and he captures Daniel Craig. He him brings down him to downstairs. His basement lair where he gasses people. him. Yeah. And and it's it's gross because it's this nice place that's like very like medical looking. Mm-hmm. It's sterile. Sterile, that's the word. And there's like this weird harness and he puts a bag around Daniel and it's just like yuck. Yeah. It it it, it really makes it your is skin a person crawl. who has figured out the perfect way to get rid of someone. Yeah. And he's been getting away with it for a very long time. And he plays Orinoco and flow. It's, it's iconic. And he, he says the night that you were here on having dinner, so-and-so was in that cage. Keep talking and I'll well, keep the, singing. I can't do that. <laughs> but there was, he had a woman down in the basement yeah. in a cage. Yeah. Not, not good. Yeah. Um, so he, it sounds like he targets immigrants too. Oh yeah. He did say something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and so he's like in in the scene. I, I wrote down that he looks kind of bored, like like as yeah. a as a killer, where he's like he's like yeah, I just do this. I just have to do this to like get off. Yep. You know, it's just another day. So he does, which is like such good acting. Oh it's my crazy. gosh! And he it's he's gross. Car- he's been carrying on what his father has done. Yeah, and he says his father left too many clues. I like hide everything. Yeah. So. He was the the one who took over the murders. It's like a family affair. Yep. And so then he 
um, says, like, this is what I think of when I think of this movie. He says, why don't people trust their instincts? Fear of offending is stronger than the fear of pain. When he's talking about how Daniel Craig knew it was him and he asked him to come back in for a drink and he did because he didn't want to offend him. Mm -hmm. And that is such a true statement. How many times have you been in a situation where you think like, maybe this could be a bad situation, but I don't want to offend somebody Mm -hmm. more than the possibility of pain. Yeah. Oh, it's so crazy. And so Lisbeth figures out that it's Martin, which is great. She also looks at the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. She sees that he's at all the places, but this is great too, because this doesn't turn into a do ex machina where she just shows up in his house for no reason. Yeah. It's like, she figured it out. She went back to the house the cottage. She did to tell him, and he's not there. And so and that's she where she sees the pictures. There. She sees the pictures and knows that Michael's figured it out. Yeah. So that's when she goes, maybe he went to Martin's house. She goes up there. She saves the day. Hits, hits Stellan in the face with a golf club. And Ouch. the makeup on his jaw and stuff. Or the CGI, the maybe. The CGI, because his jaw looks unhinged. Yeah. It looks so good. So, he, but Stellan, so she's saving Michael. Stellan's getting away, driving away. She gets on her motorcycle and is chasing him. Yeah. And she, causes him to get into a car accident and he bursts into a ball of flames and dies. Yeah. And she like, like I like to think she chases him to make sure he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's the girl who played with fire. If you ask me. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> in a way she kind of kicked a hornet's nest. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, and there's steady cam when she's chasing Martin. Cause if you know anything about uh, Fincher, he is very sparing about his, his steady cam. Usually in his movies, it's in, one or two scenes because i know for sure in social network there's one one scene that uses it um when justin timberlake gets caught with the girls and the drugs and then there's one scene in this and there's one scene in gone girl and and when it happens because it because the movies are so controlled it feels like anything could happen yeah because the camera is shaking yeah it's amazing i Mm -hmm. love that choice that he does um so then so they yeah. find out. So, so it's kind of like, oh, we never found out what happened to Harriet. Right. And then Michael said, Un- ex- unless he like finally thinks maybe we don't know whatever happened to her because she never died. Like yeah. we were, were approaching this as she's dead. Yeah. Um. So they know about her sister moved to London. Yep. And he, during this investigation, even goes to London to yeah. try and ask her questions and doesn't get anything. Uh-huh. So he goes back to London to her sister, I think Anita uh-huh. sits down and he says, like he calls her Harriet. Yeah. So discovers that Harriet has been masquerading, not masquerading. She's taken the identity of her sister and she escaped because the dad and the son were sexually assaulting her. Mm-hmm. And she knew about her dad's. Yeah. Murder yeah. Stuff. Um, and, and so she killed, she her, killed dad. her dad. Yeah. And she's so she fled and her sister helped her flee and yep. at some years and years later, her sister and her husband died in a car accident. So she assumed her identity. Oh, I think I missed that. I part. think it was some, something like that. Yeah. Um, so she, yeah, she, she made it out scot-free. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, with Michael explaining everything to her, she he like convinces her to go back home uh-huh. to see Christopher Plummer and the see their re- reun- reunion is so like heartbreaking. Yeah. And sweet and sad. It's nice. Yeah. Um, He's just crying and she's just 
holding him. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just can't even imagine not seeing someone for 40 years and you just think they're dead this whole time. And then finding out like all this like rape and murder and you already oh have Nazis gosh, yeah. in your family. I know. It's crazy. And this is happening. So that all that's happening. They're like, great movie's over. They did it. Yeah. And then we got like 15 more minutes. I know. So Lizbeth and Michael are pretty much in a relationship at this point, as much as I think either of them can be. Yeah. And, um, the Werner Strom. So, so one of the things that Christopher Plumber said to Michael is you take this job, I'll give you the linchpin that will take down Werner Strom. Yeah. And the thing that he gave him is doesn't hold water. Yeah. It's, it's like not good enough. A statute, a statute of limitations. limitations. So Michael's super pissed, which is kind of interesting. Cause Michael's like, he would know that. Yeah. So he, he's like, why did he? So it's like, he was manipulated. Like, yeah. like, Christopher Plummer wasn't as stand up as he presented himself. Exactly. To be. So Liz, Lizbeth though is like, well, I can take him down for you. He didn't ask her. She no. didn't say that she was going to. She, she, just she asked, asked for him money. for a fifty thousand dollar loan, and That's he's it. like, well, I wonder okay. how much money it really was. That's what she said. Fifty thousand, but it's not dollars. We don't like. Oh, I don't know what the yeah. current the exchange rate is, but still, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and she. She starts very, like emptying very illegally. The yeah. Empties the accounts and is spreading them all over the place of this Wernerstrom guy. Very illegal. Very bad. This guy's obviously wrapped up in gangs because he is assassinated because of it. He's first like going oh, to be he arrested. Is? He's killed? Yeah. He's going oh, to be arrested for it because part. what he's doing is illegal. Yeah. And then it's on the news that he was shot. Oh, I wow. So okay. He killed a person. Yeah. Um, and did all this for Michael. Everything's going to be okay yeah. for him. She buys like a really nice suit for him. Uh, buys him a really nice leather jacket. Leather jacket. Yeah. And then that's when she goes, she sees him with um, Erica. Erica and she throws the jacket away and drives away and the movie's over. Yeah. Which is very much like very sad ending. Yeah. It does. It's like, man, I, we need a second movie to figure out what happens there. Cause to have I just know, a one off, it's like, Oh, what? This is, this sucks. I know. And, and it's just, I mean, this was why it was fun to cover this one this Halloween because it it's like it's like what could have been if we could have got these three movies. Yeah. You know? But unfortunately This is the only one we have. This is the only one we have. And it's a masterpiece. It's a great I, I actually don't know if I'd put it quite to masterpiece caliber myself. Really? But I think it's really, really good. It's crazy good, Micah. It's crazy good, yeah. But it, it kind of went down for me on this viewing a little bit. Really? Yeah. Not not really for anything in particular. It just felt not quite as like sleek as uh, some of his other movies. Hmm. Like again, I, I would I think I'd put it like five or six. I think now instead of like you know three. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. But it, that's it, the scariest thing that was said in this whole Halloween episode. But it's it's a great it's a great epi- uh great great movie great episode. Do we have anything else to say? Uh, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Tomorrow on Patreon, our episode for Ghost Rider comes out. So get Ghost Rider. Get roasted. Oh, I meant to say ghosted. 